0: This is Frank Dominguez. Welcome to WDAV's Piedmont Arts. The Charlotte Symphony presents a program at the Belk Theatre on the weekend of March 29th and 30th that features beloved standards such as Mendelssohn's Hebrides Overture and Brahms Symphony No. 3. It also welcomes guest conductor Gemma New and violinist Paul Huang to play the Dvorak Concerto. He joins me now by telephone. Paul, thanks for speaking with me.
1: Thank you, Frank. It's a great pleasure.
0: For folks who may not be familiar with it, where would you place the Dvorak Concerto in the repertory of violinists, uh, both personally for yourself and also professionally? Where does it fall into place?
1: I think Dvorak Violin Concerto is one of those uh, big Romantic Concerto that um, perhaps many um, young students studying at conservatories will stumble upon this piece, along with you know, let's say the Brooke Concerto and perhaps the Tchaikovsky Concerto. And for odd reasons that I'm still yet to find out myself that this piece is not being programmed as often as it should be. And it makes it even more special and more delightful for me to actually you know, be able to bring the Dvořák Concerto, which is um, a piece that's very close to my heart, actually. Um, to a debut uh, with the Charlotte Symphony.
0: So playing something that perhaps is a little bit off the beaten path is a particular pleasure for you.
1: Yes, I would say say so. Of course, you know, one plays the Brahms, the Tchaikovsky, the Sibelius, or the Brooke concertos on a regular basis uh, throughout the season, um, like myself. That, you know, it gives me wonderful pleasure to introduce uh, a piece that may not be as familiar as the other concertos, um, to the audience, and, and I know that um, people will be very intrigued and be delighted to uh, get to know about this uh, concerto by Anton Dvořák.
0: What can you tell me about the background of the piece? Do you know anything about what was going on in his life when it was created?
1: Well, I think Dvořák was uh, relatively young in his, um, in his age um, when he was com- composing this concerto. This concerto is um, still considered one of his early success, along with his first symphony. And um, this violin concerto was sort of sort of an inspiration that came from his meeting with uh, Joseph Joachim, one of the great violinists um, uh, during that time. And, and many, many wonderful composers dedicate their concertos to Joachim, including the Brahms, Brooke, um Sarasate, um, and then uh, Lalo, all these wonderful composers who are so eager to write concertos or violin pieces for Joachim. And in fact, you know, Joachim was a great muse and a great um inspiration for all of them. And then he ended up, you know, editing or helped um, composers revising the score to fit into the hands of a violinist. And um in the violin concerto's case, um after after he met Joachim and a year later he decided to write this concerto and then wanted to dedicate uh, it, to him, and but I guess the story goes that you know Joachim wasn't really very taken with how the way um, Dvořák wrote, and um, but I couldn't help to find some sort of a similarities and some kind of correlations between the Dvořák concertos, along with the Brook G minor concerto, which was written um, maybe ten, twenty years earlier than the Dvořák concerto. And then I'm pretty certain that Dvořák must have heard the Brooks Violin Concertos and then have that in mind um, when he's writing the Dvořák concerto. And then it's very much similar in, in terms of the form, in terms of how to utilize the violin um, against or or together with the orchestras. And the fact that the both first and second movements are sort of interconnected uh, with the little transitions in between and almost has absolutely no pause. Um, between first and second movements. Um, it's something that actually that uh, Joachim didn't find it very super comfortable with uh, him being a very classic um, violinist. And so he never actually ended up uh, premiering the piece. There was someone, someone else who actually premiered the piece. Um, but this violin concerto is super well written for the violin, and it has wonderful um, Slavic influence, which I'm sure it's such a signature for Dvořák's music um, throughout his career. But also, I think it's the most important thing about this concerto: it's the fact of his genius of writing all the wonderful singing qualities um, lines for the solo violin, and he really knows how to use the violin in the most best sense possible. And I'm saying that because I know Dvořák was such a fabulous, you know, string player himself. So um this vi this violin concerto has virtuosity, has drama, has um witiness, has charms, and it has wonderful nostalgic um sections as well. So I know this is a wonderful concerto that I am so delighted to be able to bring it to Charlotte.
0: You're obviously very enthusiastic about it and a fan of the work. Is there a particular moment that, as a performer, you really look forward to? Some part of the music that's just really fun to play or really meaningful to you,
1: I think there are many sections of this concerto um that is um to be looked out for and then to be experienced um intimately um and I wanted to mention a few spots actually you know the first spots would obviously be the transitions between the first and second movement that uh, transition um melodies along with um along with um the flute and the clarinet is of this interplay in the most intimate um, passages um, on stage going into the second movement which is perhaps one of the most beautiful second movements that I can actually think of and um, also the very beginning of the first movement of the opening um, where Dvořák wrote this uh, almost fanfare-like introduction which introduced the theme uh, from the orchestra and right Right there, after four measure, he made the violin soloist uh, jump right into one of the most difficult passages that's ever written um, for the solo violin. And um, it's almost kind of like for singers, you know, singing the Queen of the Night, uh, the very first uh, solo line, you know, the solo violinist has to hit, almost nail the high E. And then in the second attempt, uh, which comes uh, four bars later... Uh, after yet another um, interlude from the orchestra, violence has to hit the even higher A. So you really, really need um, a lot of uh, courage um, to delve right into the opening statement um, in this concerto. And, um, And it makes it that much more exciting for the audience as well as for the performers.
0: Yeah, when you're engaged and excited about it as a performer, then inevitably the audience is going to be swept up in that excitement.
1: You know, it's kind of an analogy of if you don't think the joke is funny yourself, that you probably shouldn't help people. (laughs) So um, for us, I think we were kind of like an actor or an actress in the sense that we have to sort of translate the script. In our case, it's the music, the notes on the page, what composers have written for us and to bring them alive and then to hopefully um, have that come across through the stage, and through the performers into the audience.
0: Well, you're good enough at that, translating to be a recipient of a very prestigious prize, the uh, Avery Fisher Career Grant. How does an artist receive this award, and what has it meant to you, both personally and professionally?
1: Receiving the Avery Fisher Career Grant is definitely um, an incredible, enormous honor for a young violinist or a young musician. Um, And the process is um, sort of interesting because that neither you apply for the prize nor you're being um, considered. So you have absolutely no idea that you're being considered for any given year of the prize, and it's sort of just come to you. And so um, how I knew about that I was the recipient of the, the prize was through a phone calls from the committee who called me up and say, um congratulations that you won the award. And so that was it. And uh, it almost seemed like a a supernatural or something completely surreal experience for me that a prize that I've been hearing for such a long time. And so many, many wonderful um, violinists that I respect and highly admire over the year have um, received this incredible honor. So it's a very humbling experience and humbling honor. Kind of like also tapping on the shoulder and says, you know, good job for now, but you have a long way to go. You have big shoes to fill.
0: You know, it also occurs to me that unlike a competition, which has so much uh, stress and pressure associated with it, this is more like a pleasant surprise and a pleasant reward for a, a job well done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in a way, um, probably even more difficult because um, in the competition setting that you try so hard and that you if you do a b or c that you you're almost certain that you're going to sort of get somewhere and of course luck plays into a lot of factors in um the competition setting but um in receiving an award like this is it really takes a committee of 20 or 30 people of industry people who have to like you enough to um submit your names and then to be considered for this award. So in a way, it's probably even more competitive than than competitions. It's just everything is sort of underground, not something that I um, will ever know or realize what goes on behind it.
0: Congratulations. It sounds uh, like uh, it's very well deserved, and I know that uh, the folks who come out for the concert this weekend uh, will get a chance to uh, uh, experience what has made you uh, that important that uh, you would come up for this award. So uh, I know we're all looking forward to hearing that. Let me ask you, uh, by way of winding up, uh, a question which I hope you'll uh, be interested in answering. You're Taiwanese American, is that correct? Yes. And, you know, for those of us who follow classical music, it's impossible not to notice the high percentage of really gifted musicians who are Asian in their cultural background. It's sort of like, you know, with basketball, there's a lot of African-American players who excel, and in baseball, it's Latino players. Well, in classical music, it's the Asian team that really seems to bring the game. So from your experience, what are the cultural factors that might explain that?
1: You know, as an Asian, when you were growing up, learning anything or learning in school, um, a lot of times that you are doing exactly what the teacher tells you to do and you don't second that. You don't question, you know, anything about it. And then you just do what the teacher tells you to do and you'll be fine and you will get good grades and then you will succeed and you will get to a wonderful college and and um asking questions is almost not something that is natural for Asian education, and so when I first came to this country, that was something that I was completely not used to. And when my teachers started to ask me questions and says, "What do you think of this? What do you think of that?", um, I started to become very uncomfortable because I was not brought up in the way to think a lot, and I was brought up to be told what to do. And so, so that was a big um, realization uh, on my end, and but for for that, um it comes with an advantage um in an Asian culture that you are very disciplined and you are doing exactly what the teacher tells you to do, and that in that sense, it's very good for training um techniques and then in in that sense it's um it's a wonderful discipline for young um children to learn violin because they if they practice and exactly what the teacher tells them to do and then they will have a wonderful foundation for for a wonderful technique, which is perhaps the most important thing, learning the violin along with musicality, which they goes hand in hand. And and musicality is something that can be developed all, over a lifetime span. But technique needs to be developed at a very young age and Once you have a good foundation, you will always have a good foundation. And so I think that might have contributed to an early success for um, a big number of Asian violinists who are um, good at playing the violin. Now, um, whether it's um, in artistry and musicality that goes into play um, as a violinist, and I think that is yet to be seen
0: very interesting. My guest has been Paul Huang. He'll play the Dvorak Violin Concerto with the Charlotte Symphony conducted by Gemma New on Friday and Saturday, the 29th and 30th at 730 each evening in the Belk Theater. The concert also includes Mendelssohn's Hebrides Overture and the Brahms Symphony No. 3. And you'll find a link to the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra website with more information from the Piedmont Arts page at WDAV.org. Paul, thank you so much for speaking with me.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: For WDAV's Piedmont Arts, I'm Frank Dominguez.